0: The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of CPR Unplugged. I am your friendly neighborhood therapist and host, Steve Marshall. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Sam. She felt inspired to share her story of recovery and her journey through the paper health world. And we're really lucky to have Sam here with us today. So Sam, how's it going? Welcome.
2: Thank you for such a great introduction. I feel lucky to be able to have a platform to speak on my experience and to be so well received. So thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your journey and and what led to you what led you to feel inspired to share about your uh, your path in the behavioral health world
2: behavioral health, even though we are in 2023, it is still such a stigmatized topic where it's kind of spoken about in hushed murmurs. And it's absolutely no different than taking care of your physical health. And I think the pandemic really proved to us how crucial mental health is in balance with physical health. The the desire for me to go public, so to speak, is that I have spent the past 17 years of my life keeping secret the terrible things that were done to me and the only people i'm protecting are the people who have harmed me and i can't do that any longer it's not fair to myself it's not fair to the innocents out there that don't know what monsters walk among them and i happen to be a mother so what example am i sending to my children if i'm complicit and letting them hide
1: right so so really it's about overcoming stigma, breaking down barriers, and then being an example to your uh, your family and those who might benefit from hearing your story?
2: I, I very much wouldn't mind being the poster child for survivorship and help carry the torch to lead us survivors out of the darkness. We shouldn't have to hide huddled and shrouded in shame. What happened to us happened to us. We did not allow it. It was an act against us. Why, why are we so ashamed? We can band together and we can reverse that act of power taken from us into a revolution and determine just how powerful we are. So if I, if I got to be the one to pick up the mantle, I'm willing to do it. Just tell me how to do it and where to go because I'll be the mouthpiece. I don't mind.
1: Okay. Well, let's sort of start at the beginning. You know, you're self-described as a survivor and most people who share themselves in this way, they have a story. So what led you to this place? How, how do you see yourself as your survivor?
2: So what kicked off this entire avalanche is um, the passing of my beloved grandmother, Joyce. Growing up, Joyce was a very cold person. She was not the warm and fuzzy, She'd pull you into her lap, bake you cookies, read you a story but Joyce was definitely one who saw into the future and planned for myself and my siblings financially. So she, she kept, you know, money, money aside for us. So when we became adults, we would be able to jumpstart on our education or in my case therapy, I digress. So um, (laughs) grandma passed away and she it was, it was the death inch by inch. She suffered from dementia, and her passing was incredibly slow and incredibly labored, but it was expected. Um, after she passed, I started reaching out to my cousins, who I was estranged from. We hadn't spoken in several years on anything other than a superficial, oh, Merry Christmas, happy birthday, your kids are lovely, so in order to circumvent an uncomfortable reunion face-to-face at the wake, I wanted to at least like, hey, let's reconnect, reintroduce. So by making the rounds and speaking to the next generation of children after the children of my grandmother, so there's grandma, and then her children and the grandchildren, so we say, the grandchildren I was making the rounds to, and I ended up confiding in one of my cousins the totality of the abuse and neglect I had endured growing up. Not limited to trafficking, I was trafficked as a minor and um, engaged in a six-month sexual relationship with a 33-year-old man when I was 15. Just the extent of what I experienced growing up and the fact that I was able to not only graduate from high school, but achieve a a cosmetology license at the age of 18 in the state of California. Um, I had reconnected with my biological father who never knew about me. I mean, just my adolescence was not kind. It was not gentle. And peeling back the layers of everything as it had occurred, I began to realize that there were events from an instance in which I had been the victim of date rape when I was 20. I was date raped on my 20th birthday. Recounting all of the traumas that I have endured to my cousin led me to realize that as recently as December, I had once again been date raped by somebody that I considered a friend. That set off the first domino (laughs) to just the unbottling of 32 years of pain and existence. So that was the catalyst, my, my grandma passing. And my rationale was like, I was protecting my grandparents from knowing the severity and the depth of what my siblings and I grew up with because I didn't want, they couldn't do anything. They weren't financially in a position where they could have bailed us out. They were old and feeble and delicate and aged, and they weren't exactly children friendly individuals to boot. So it, it just, we really didn't have a chance the fact that the four of us grew up and all of us graduated from high school none of us have a criminal record all of us are productive members of society we're all equally traumatized in different degrees and areas but by and large we can assimilate well enough with the general population that you know we we pass
1: so so let me just summarize a little bit of this so uh you know your your grandmother passed away how how long ago was that
2: uh, that was on april 28th at 11:15 she took her last breath i found out april 29th at 8:41 a.m. that she was with jesus
1: was it this past year
2: 2023 yes yes just this past couple months
1: okay so so she passed and then all of a sudden it was kind of it sounds like the floodgates really opened up there were was- oh they did a rush of emotion that included multiple significant traumas that you'd experienced throughout your life, and it was something that you were working to understand and unpack. Is that a fair assessment?
2: That's super spot on, yes.
1: Okay, so you know, this happens in April, and you've been experiencing the grief of loss, and also trying to understand what you have encountered and endured where are you where are you now in that process because that's not that's not a a long period of time I mean we're as as we record this we're in June so I imagine a lot of this is still pretty raw
2: it's it's actually not buttoned up the the story is still evolving Um, my grandma passed on the 28th found out the 29th uh, realized I had been date raped in December on the 29th and the first order of business I had was to inform my partner, my boyfriend of almost six years, that this had happened to me. And that was a hard conversation to have because of the vulnerability in my past experience when I was when I was 15 with the 33 year old, when he broke up with me, My stepfather told me that I deserved to be slapped across the face alongside my mother and my lover and that I had brought shame to the family and I was never to speak of this uh, uh, event again. And then when I was date raped at 20, when I had confided in my mother, she told me, it sounds like you were kind of asking for it. When I was date raped at 20 again, I reached out to my now ex-husband and told him what had happened. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't deal with you right now. And he hung up the phone on me. Um, I've had, unfortunately, just really negative experience with coming forward and admitting, hey, I've been assaulted. Hey, I've been raped. Hey, I've been violated. And the people that I expect to be in my corner the most are the ones that have cast me aside So it was very um, scary to admit this to my partner and he had a horrible reaction. He was just so taken aback by how this could happen to me and he wasn't there to protect me and this that and the other. He somehow interpreted it as I had cheated on him and was disloyal to him. And he took off into the ether for about seven hours. I ended up having to contact law enforcement I had to contact his family. Some of them were out of state, out of the country. One of his mother was in Mexico. I had to confide in them what had happened to me and why that was in the scenario we were in. Meanwhile, trying to navigate getting my children taken care of for the time that I was supposed to be responsible for them, I couldn't keep my children and be present for them to take care of them while I was trying to manage what very well possibly could have been a life or death crisis with what was going on in terms of my boyfriend and my relationship. So it was a very tense seven hours not knowing where he was, what he was doing, or if he was safe finally got confirmation from law enforcement that he was safe. We were able to have a conversation the following evening into Saturday about you know, what went through his head, how it made him feel, what his reaction was. He didn't understand trauma response, fight, flight, freeze. And he needed someone to explain to him that just because I froze doesn't mean it was implied consent even though the court would swing it that way. It was a matter of, I've done this before. I didn't know what further harm could have come to me. I knew he was armed. I knew there were weapons stashed around the house. I didn't know if there was a weapon nearby. I woke up to him putting his hands on me like I was ambushed. This was in no way, shape, or form. He backed me into a corner and ripped the clothes from me. It was I was dead asleep and woke up to him putting his hands on places that Nobody should be putting their hands on anyone while they're sleeping. And, you know, having to flesh out all the intimate details of the assault with my boyfriend, as re traumatizing as it was, it at least helped him rationalize that I couldn't put up a fight. It wasn't a lack of an ability to defend myself, it was a shutdown of the whole system. So we reconciled. And then a few days later, he got back in his head again about how he wasn't there to protect me and how he had failed me as a partner. If he hadn't taken the job offer, that would have taken him out of town. I wouldn't have been hanging out with this guy and just really internalizing what had happened to me. And it, I want to make a point too that SA and rape, there may be one person, one body that is affected, but there is a ripple effect for the community of the survivor of the event, because it's not just you know my heartache, my grief, it's my boyfriend grieving that his sense of security in this world that he can trust me to have friendships and trust people and have a good sense of judge a character that, that kind of diminished with this. So I, I want to point out too that even though I'm a victim of the assault, my support network in some ways, are also by proxy victims because they've had to come forward. They've had to volunteer their hurts, their time, their love, their support, their compassion. And if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes an entire psych ward and, you know, team to help someone recover from an event such
1: as this how is the recovery going have you engaged in treatment or has there been anything any like pivotal moments along this journey where you you could say okay well this has had a positive influence on me or this has been something that i can carry forward to continue on my path of healing
2: i'm i'm just such an internal optimist if i can give you an example there was a year um, when i was a teenager young adult maybe 17 or 18. And it was Christmas time and there were presents under the tree and everyone was super excited. And I was pumped because it was the first year that I had been able to afford buying Christmas presents on my own without anybody knowing what anybody else was getting. And I was excited to share with my family. And after, you know, morning was over, presents were distributed. I walked away with literally nothing for me. And I remember feeling really bummed and walking out to my backyard and smoking a cigarette. And I remember as I put my cigarette out thinking, well, there's always next year. Like, how sad, but how telling that at such a young age, I was felt soothing that I had not received a single present for Christmas by reassuring myself that there was another opportunity for next year and that things could get better. And that's just a testament to to who I am. I woke up today six feet above ground, articulate and capable of changing what has happened to me and it ending. It doesn't have to perpetuate and my family from here on out. And knowing that, how could I not wake up feeling empowered and grateful for that opportunity?
1: So what does that look like? I mean, in in therapy, we'll talk about creating a compelling vision for your future. Have you ever done any work along those lines?
2: Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the therapy that I have received uh, up until this point has been through the filter of me being misdiagnosed as bipolar. My current diagnosis is complex PTSD and PTSD. But um, going through the filter of bipolar, we were looking to medicate and, and figure out the mania and the depressive episode. When you look at it through the filter of, no, this woman's traumatized and her episodes are actually her tri- being triggered, all the Tetris pieces fall into place and it all makes sense. Like, yes, that's a lot more what this is than uh, bipolar. So now that I'm in therapy to focus solely on the PTSD and the complex PTSD, it's, it's been, it's been difficult because there's so much to unpack. I started seeking treatment after the fire, which was September 14th, 2021. It is now June of 2023. I finally got set with a primary care physician and on March 8th of this year in order to get a referral for psychiatric care. It has been a nightmare just trying to unpack almost losing my life and losing my home back in 2021. This is the first time I've had the luxury to unpack the severity of the trauma. And I'm actually having to switch therapists right now because I've exhausted what my current therapist could offer me as far as her treatment plan. I now need to see someone who's more trauma-based because there's some reprogramming that needs to happen. Like Pavlov's dog, ring, ring a Bell, the dog salivates. It's Pavlovian conditioning in my brain that I just don't have any self-worth unless I'm in service to someone. So we got to kind of deprogram that uh, default thinking and let me spread my wings and realize how much worth I do possess outside of my identity tied to someone or what I can provide to someone. My worth is not dictated by the service I provide.
1: You know, I think in therapy, you confront questions of self-worth, purpose, meaning belonging all the time. And so it sounds like you're working out a a good definition for yourself of, you know, where do you derive your sense of self-worth from? And how can that help sustain you into the future? And, you know, you had mentioned that you experienced this fire in September, 2021, and then the trauma of the uh, death of your grandmother and and the experience with the date rapes who've had multiple serious, significant traumas in a short period of time. And complex PTSD is when there's a history of that, which you also have shared a little bit about. So you know, as you're unpacking that with your therapist, have you found that there has been anything that has worked when it comes to retraining your mind or coming up with a core belief system that can support the type of health and flourishing that you're looking to achieve in your life?
2: i, I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus that I admire and look at to, but I don't I don't have any like role models or examples in particular that I try to emulate but there are like little facets of personality that i adopt in people that i love whether it be phrases like euphemisms or expressions that the family uses if what are some of those like and, oh my gosh so i'm sorry i have the mouth of a well-educated sailor i can either speak like we're about to have an SAT dissertation or i'm tiger king like there's no in between um, some familiar phrases. My girlfriend has this dog that loves to nestle in like the crook of your legs if you're sitting on the couch. And her family calls that area of your legs the bushes. So I've adopted that now. When my cat curls up there, I'm like, oh, he's in the bushes. And it's just it's little tiny pieces of them that I incorporate into me to perpetuate because it makes me feel close to them. And it's like, I'm healthy enough to recognize this is the bare minimum that I'm offering this is above and beyond and this is like you know I I'm willing to go and give above and beyond for my kids because it's so easy and you know being a mom it's heartbreaking it is absolutely heartbreaking to see just how easy it is to make a child feel loved and accepted and included and safe it it takes such little effort to just love a child and it blows my mind that that was withheld from me I, I can't rationalize it but it's incredibly healing to see how emotionally aware my daughter is and how compassionate my son is to other people and their feelings and I, I feel like parenting right now as, as sad and, and hurtful as it can be it's, it's incredibly rewarding because it's healing. It's seeing those wounds get cauterized and knowing that the the disease stops with me.
1: So would you say that's a, a fair analysis of what you're attempting to uh, create within your life in the future is that you want the hurt or, or the pain, the diseases, the phrase you use to, to end with you?
2: Oh, absolutely. The buck stops here. My daughter... I am going to raise her in a capacity where she will not have to be aware of a threat that she shouldn't be on alert for. I am going to help her navigate this world in a way where she will not have to experience what I've endured. And secondly, I am going to raise a son that women and men can be safe around because it's not just women who are assaulted. Men are also victims and survivors as well. And as a mother, it is my duty and obligation to raise those two humans to understand consent, what no means, and how to behave and conduct themselves within society for the long term. I will not erase their innocence prematurely. They are only children for a very long time. And I don't want that bubble to burst prematurely. But when the time is right, we will have conversations at length about expectations of how we conduct ourselves and courtship, and intercourse, and things of that nature. And if I'm capable of doing it with the absolute garbage background I come from, I'm here to stand up and encourage everyone else who's questioning if they have the moxie, the words, the strength, the power. Yes, yes, we do. Stick with me, kids. I'll show you the world. Let's go.
1: A big portion of your story is... Your life as a mother now, and your desire to prepare your children, your your daughter and your son, prepare them for the future. Explain the values of uh, healthy boundaries, the importance of consent, and uh, to protect them from things that they don't really need to be exposed to. That might give a little bit of a segue back to some of the trauma that you experienced when you were when you were a teen. You had mentioned a uh, history of of being trafficked. Can you explain a little bit about what that means?
2: So when I was, it's it's a story, I'm sorry, everything is a story with a backstory. Um, When I was 15 years old, I went to Sacramento, California from my hometown in Redding, California. It's about two and a half hours south of Redding. Uh, We went to Sacramento for Christmas with my stepfather's parents. At the time, I did not know that he was my stepfather. He was just a good old dad. And so we went to Sac for Christmas, and one of the people in attendance popped up, and I thought they were really good-looking. And I whispered to my mom, like, hey, who's the new guy? I don't recognize him. And my mom's like, oh, that's your cousin. And I was like, oh, shit, can we move to Kentucky? Like, worth it. Again, 15, who am I just – more mouth than, than manners. So ended up chatting with cousin, found out we had a lot in common. Like there was a little bit of a flirtation going on between us. And then I found out that he was 33 and I was like, Oh man, like he's into me. Like that's, that's exceptional. I I have engaged an actual adult's attention and oh, okay, cool. So we had begun this, like, it was innocent at the start. It was just a texting relationship. We would talk to each other on the phone. Is very tame. I was in high school. You know, my biggest concerns were going to formal and prom and being accepted. Meanwhile, too, back at school, I was bullied to the extent where I was participating in homeschool part time. Home was not a happy place. School was not a happy place. My life was really freaking rough. <laughs> like there were there were no safe havens really on this adventure. But he and I engaged in this uh, relationship. And then he told me that he would be moving from Texas back to Sacramento. His business had gone under and he was starting over again in SAC. And like me being a sweetheart, just, oh, do you need help moving? Like, I didn't have my driver's license. How was I going to help him move? And I'm 15. Like, I'm not exactly prepared or in capacity to help somebody move halfway across the country. But I volunteered and he actually ended up taking me up on that offer. So um, to facilitate me helping him move, my mother elected to put me on a Greyhound bus from Redding, California to Sacramento, California, to send my behind down to his house for the weekend, knowing fully good and well that we would be unsupervised and that there was an attraction blossoming between the two of us. Obviously, things happened in Sacramento that first trip, and I came home and I confided in my mom about it we had then learned of a modeling school down in sacramento that held classes twice a month on weekends and it was like a two thousand dollar tuition something where we just didn't have the money to shit out but um she she tapped on grandma joyce good old grandma grandma had money stacked away for us for the future and i convinced my mother that this was a move for the future because i was going to be a model Never mind that my first day of said modeling school, they told me, well, you're too short and your proportions are too wide. You'll never make it in runway or catalog, but you could probably do commercial prints. So two grand got shot away (laughs) really, really quick on day one. But um, this, this modeling school offered the perfect guys for why I was going down to Sacramento twice a month because I would end up staying at my cousin's and we would hook up and it just was what it was. My mom would sleep on the couch. We would take the master bedroom and there were, uh, there was a time where she even brought my little brother. And if I was 15, he had to have been seven at the time. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were advertising that we were, you know, in a relationship, but we weren't necessarily keeping it like under wraps. Like it wasn't social media official, We didn't call each other boyfriend or girlfriend. We didn't exchange I love yous. But like, it was a very situationship relationship for a 15-year-old to try to navigate, especially with a 33-year-old who had double the lifetime experience on her. And I was just so desperate to be accepted and loved that I would take whatever I could get. So the relationship lasted about six months. Uh, He ended up breaking things off with me three days before my 16th birthday, citing that his ex was recently divorced and he wanted to reconnect with her. And out of respect for her, we needed to stop what we were doing. And three days later, I turned 16. And two days later, I was no longer a sophomore, but a junior in high school.
1: You mentioned that at that time, prior to getting into this relationship, you know, school was not happy and home was not happy and you felt like you were desperate for attention and love. And so you felt drawn to this, the attention of this older man. And, you know, when you look back on that now, what, what have you, what have you learned or what would you want to communicate as a, um, as a mom or to someone who is young and maybe experiencing the, uh, the abuse because you know when you're when you're a minor you're not of consenting age and so uh, a lot of the things that it sounds like were going on were just completely inappropriate and what would you say to someone in a situation like like yours who's desperate for attention and love wasn't receiving it at home or school
2: I, I can tell you this right now uh, trustworthy adults don't ask people to keep secrets from other trustworthy adults if you are being asked to keep something secret, there's a reason. And it's really, really hard when you're young to differentiate love, lust, puppy love. You know, it, it takes being through relationships and experiencing the slings and arrows and the growing pains of young love to get to the level where you can accept and appreciate and recognize real love real love is not blissful sunshine rainbows real love is effort it is compromise it is communication it is partnership it is goal oriented and driven. Y'all are together for a reason, right? Are you going to raise a family? Are you going to buy real estate? Are you going to go RVing cross country? What, What do you want to accomplish by the end of this relationship with your partner? Can you speak to that? And as a minor, that's so far flung in the future, guys, take the time to make mistakes and go camping and touch grass and not concern yourself with who you're going to be paired with for the rest of your life the rest of your life is so much further than where you are on the timeline right now it's like miss frizzle from the magic school bus in the 90s make mistakes get crazy this is your time to do it just don't make mistakes you can't come back from and if you feel like you're in over your head 100 every time go to the police I know there's a lot of negative press about law enforcement and I understand because I'm terrified of law enforcement. I have authority issues, but if someone like me who is so petrified of their own shadow can reach out to law enforcement and can turn not only my December rapist, my 15 year old rapist and both my parents in for child abuse and neglect, Anybody can rise above from their upbringing. Anybody can walk away from where they began. There was a great quote from the Pokemon movie of all things and Mewtwo of all people spoke it. And he said, the circumstances of one's birth are irrelevant. It's what you do in life that matters. And I want to project that message too. It does not matter if you escaped the trailer park like me. It does not matter if you were born Beverly Hills, Silver Spoon we all have trauma. We all have things. It costs absolutely nothing to be kind to one another. Let's promote kindness rather than criticism. And I feel like we could be in a better environment to live and raise future
1: generations. And I actually think this is a good piece of advice, really good piece of advice That trustworthy adults don't keep secrets. And that note, I think we've, we've found a pretty good place to, to kind of wrap things up. You know, I wanted to Thank you for stepping into the spotlight today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And sharing about your experiences, is harrowing and, and triumph, certainly. And, and it sounds like there's still a road to walk that you're walking, but you are, it sounds like you're on your way. So, you know, from from us here to you, we wish you a lot of luck. We'll continue to help out however we can. And uh, to our listeners out there in the world, thank you for tuning in.
0: Got questions or ideas for the podcast, or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontane, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.